0: Today's guest is Tanner Wallace, and Tanner is a trauma coach, to sum it up real easily. Uh, She specializes in complex post-traumatic stress disorder. It's called CPTSD. It's kind of a tongue twister. Uh, But in this episode, she really goes into detail about what that is, gives examples. Uh, We talk about how she got into this work. It was through self-healing. And uh, I think it'll help uh, a lot of people who listen. Uh, and so I just was fascinated. I always love learning new things. And when I learn new things, I like to share them. And so and she also uh, has this way about her that is so peaceful and calm. And she made me feel so at ease. And so, and not that I always feel easy with my guests, but I just felt like when I was done, it was just like, ah, oh. <laughs> you know you know how you after you finish a massage or something but that yeah she is uh, shares her experience she's very open and uh I enjoyed it immensely and with no further ado here she is Listen in and let something you hear prompt you to take the first step in making the rest your best. Welcome to another episode of Living Your Sparked Second Half Life. And today I have with me Tanner Wallace, and she's somebody I noticed on Instagram. And she has a business that helps a very important niche, I think, a very important Part of the population, uh, and uh, so welcome to the program, Tanner. Thank you, thank you. It's always nice to be on the other side, <laughs> like not yeah. not behind oh. a
1: microphone, but oh. actually be the guest. Yes, I'm glad yeah. to be here.
0: Yeah. So you have a podcast? I have a and, podcast. Yeah, and, and it's it's called. We have to say that up front.
1: Well, it's it's been called many different things over the years. We've sort of in this settling period of it's just called Held by Tanner.
0: Oh, okay. okay. The latest yeah. iteration. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, so I've been following you. I'm surprised I didn't know. I, I probably did know a while ago that you had a podcast, but I forgot. Uh, but yeah, I know you have a program and um what you do is amazing, but of course, what you do is uh based on your own personal journey. And so can you like start to talk about that? I love um, a lot of my guests you know, have developed businesses to help people around, you know, trauma or uh, some major pivot, some like health crisis or some um, miserable job that they were in and just this enlightenment that came upon them. But for you, I mean, I think you were really in a deep, deep, dark place. And so I think what you do is so valuable. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on. And so I'm sure somebody will connect with that. Yeah. Well, thank you.
1: I'm glad to be here. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, getting older is very interesting, as you know. I think when we're younger, we, you know, are a lot of us are on kind of a script like, oh, right. I graduate high school. Like, oh, right. I go to college. Oh, right. I get married. I have kids. Um, And we don't even realize how scripted our life really is. And I think for me, I think along with a lot of other humans, when COVID happened, it really slowed my life down incredibly. I have four kids I'm part of a blended family, so you know we've multiple households driving kids, school schedules, custody schedules. My partner it, it is still a university professor. I was at the time a university professor. and so we just spent a lot of time driving and going and doing. And you know when you're driving and going and doing, you don't spend a lot of time. Like, how do I actually feel? Like what and, and what's here when we slow down and we stop? And it was such a gift because our my two stepchildren who spend time evenly between households, their parent was was still required to do their job, not for the whole of COVID, but for at least the second half of when we were on lockdown. And so we had my stepchildren here every day for school. And we had my bio kids here and my research had slowed down. My partner's research had slowed down. And so we were all just kind of in the house with each other. And it really gave me an opportunity to explore some things I already knew about my life, but just never had time to fully turn towards, you know, why, why have some things followed me into my second marriage? Why, why is my husband's relationship with his ex so different than the relationship with my ex? Why does my husband orient towards people so differently than I orient towards people? Just our whole world views were so different. And those differences just kept becoming more and more obvious to me. And you know, I wasn't actually in a dark place when, when kind of some of my pivots happened, which is interesting. I mean, I have been in some dark places, but I think just dispositionally, I'm very much a pull yourself up, like just keep working. If you work hard, you'll solve the problem. And so I think work was always my road out of crisis. Like I had a fairly successful academic career. Um, but then when that was gone, I was like, well, there's nothing really to
0: work on right now. So did you leave or did COVID kind of shut things down? So that COVID just shut things down. Like my, my research was all human. So
1: I was like in schools, in classrooms, my teaching was all in person. And so, so it was just so much and my kids were now home. So it was everything just slowed down and shut down,
0: which, what were you in?
1: What field? I'm in psychology and educational psychology and so I think at that point, there was just this kind of loose call to start sharing a lot of what I knew about developmental psychology and what I learned from you know being married twice and parenting, but yet I wouldn't have said I was doing trauma-inspired work at that time. It's just like, I have so much knowledge. I want to share it. Academia is so rule-based. You can only do certain things. Everything has to have evidence. And so I started with a podcast actually. And the podcast was just talking about marriage, having guests on talking about marriage. And I think as I went behind a microphone, all of a sudden I felt this freedom and I couldn't even like see the people I was speaking to, which was really interesting because I'm so used to you're in front of people, you're seeing the people, they're asking you questions. You can see their responses. Are they resonating? Are they not? Are they about to critique you? Are they not? But in this. Place in my home behind a microphone where I didn't even know who I was speaking to. I just started speaking more and more truth into my experience and pulling some strands through of mentorship and coaching, which was part of my job before. It just wasn't, you know, highlighted as prominently as the research. But you know, I taught, I mentored. So my favorite parts of my job were the coaching of graduate students. And I got on Instagram. I started speaking there and kind of just an audience came and it, and then from there, I was like, well, I think I want to do this full time. Like, I think I don't want to go back. And I remember the exact moment I was on a walk in 2021, the summer, and it was just so clear. I'm like, I'm not going back. And no one could believe it because my whole life was around the academy. My husband's life is around the academy. It was so core to who I thought I was, but it was so clear I was not going back and I was going to turn towards the online coaching business, being a content creator, being a podcaster, just full time. And so, yeah, did you find
0: in the academic world that like that model is, is structured in a way that sometimes you can't be creative. Sometimes you're limited, right. By policy or by, you know, the rigidity of, uh, the curriculum of, uh, maybe in, in a, Higher level learning, it's not as much, but I love that the podcast idea was just a different medium for you to do what you're already doing, but in a and yeah. in, in a way that could touch more because also your audience is limited, right? I in, think the in,
1: big difference is, is that there's two. I think I could. I mean, there's a lot, but there's two, and there's also a lot of similarities. But the two differences are um when you are a content creator. You have an audience that's opting into what you're offering, versus yes. a lot of what I was doing teaching, especially in a helping discipline like education. Students had to take my classes; they were requirements right. for certification. They were requirements for the doctoral program, and and so I felt like I didn't even realize it until I started teaching in kind of choice based context. But I spent so much energy trying to convince people that what I was telling them was important. So there's a lot of convincing energy in the academy, prove it, like make it relevant. It just, it's so um, draining in a lot of ways. I didn't really realize until I stepped away. And then that's so true when it comes to research, it's, it's really conservative in research, understandably, because the bridge you can make between what we know, what we know, and I put that in quotes and What the evidence is that supports our current theories, you can only take a baby step in a direction because you can't take a huge leap because people are thinking, oh, that's unfounded. How did you take that big leap? You know, research is a lot of incremental knowledge limited by what we can perceive in the world. I remember I saw a tweet one time from a researcher I absolutely love, and she's the founder of critical race theory. And, you know, she'd been talking about it since the 60s, like a long time, 70s, probably not 60s, like 70s. And then there was this study probably like 10 years ago funded by the government that proved some of the findings she had theoretically. And she tweeted, she's like, I'm glad my theory is real now. (laughs) (laughs) And like cited the study. So there is that kind of necessary um, carefulness, but it also limits creativity and and what can count as what we know, you know? So,
0: yes. So how did you niche down into trauma? What led to that discovery and that's where you wanted to go and help people with?
1: I think it kind of started by just finding my voice, you know, just finding my voice, getting more and more comfortable speaking my truth. Um, And then I think it just evolved from there. And And then I think it was kind of, how how what we're interested in aligns with what we're good at. And I think with complex trauma, there's, it's interesting to, to really work through and heal trauma. I think there's a structure that needs to be in place and there's things you actually need to move through both internally and externally. And so I think my researcher's mind and kind of my educator's understanding of how do you create development over time I knew I wanted to heal my own complex trauma. And so I was just like, okay, what do you do? You look at the research, what works, what doesn't, and you want to create a transformation. You line up a scope and sequence of things that people need to move through. And that just made so much sense to me. But I don't think that often people think developmentally about a problem, but that's how I've trained. That's what I've done for so long. That that came really naturally to me. So then, when I realized there, well, the people need this. They don't want to just go to a therapist for fifty minutes every week, and no one's really holding them between sessions or helping them do independent work or giving them milestones like if this is true, you're healing. Like, but but also not so rigid that it's a checklist, you know?
0: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So talk about what CP. TSD is. So tell the audience kind of it's specialized, you know, yeah. area, and you just discovered it as you were, I, I don't know, how did you discover it?
1: I don't think it's that specialized. So I think actually a lot more people than realize experience complex trauma. And so I think, you know, one way, if a listener's listening, like, Oh, like, is this me, I'm going to explain two things that I think really help people resonate. Is this connected to my, to me? So I think if you're someone that has had chaotic or confusing relationships that all, never you never settle into a comfort with intimacy, it always feels like there's tension or there's push pull or there's just nothing ever settles and you're someone who you know wants to be close to people, wants to feel love, wants to feel held and just settled in a family but yet it never really settles for you, there's always some sadness there's always some pain there's always some hurt and that feels kind of perpetual and you can numb it by working or drinking or you know having an affair like there's an escape from it but when you come back to your life it, you don't want to be in it and that that kind of keeps following you around no matter what happens you get the promotion you get the job you get the child like whatever it is it just is persistent in your life so i feel like if that if you're listening and that feels like you Then I'm going to tell you kind of how that comes to be. And if that resonates with you, then I would Google complex trauma (laughs) and Pete Walker's book. um, We can link it in your show notes. It's, It's kind of the starting place for people, I think. So like when you're a kid, right, all kids have stressful things happen. I mean, like we're human, right? So life is not this perfect place for us. So if you think about a kid, and I don't know if you'll show some video of this, but I'll kind of walk it through, but I'm kind of using my hand to show like a baseline. So you're here, you're a kid, and you're going to be out in the world, and then something's going to happen, and the stress of the environment, so now I'm using my other hand above it, so there's a gap. Now the stress of your environment is outpaced your skills as a kid. So this could be a teacher calls you out and says okay share your work and you're like oh i don't understand it and then you share your work in a class and then a kid just makes like "Oof, not the right answer you know as, as like that or someone breaks up with you suddenly you know you're all getting ready for you know a big dance and then you get you know what now would be a text message when i was growing up would be a telephone call or a note or something but you get word that this person actually has broken up with you and they're actually in love with your best friend and they're taking them to the dance not you i mean these things happen, right? A a grandparent dies suddenly. And you, you, the last time you talked to them, you were kind of a rude teenager. You weren't kind to them. And then they die and you think, oh my gosh, I didn't have this moment with them. So these events happen in our life that are just normal kid events. And it's not the event that, that is traumatizing. It's like what happens afterwards. And so good enough parents will either build up the resiliency of their kid by helping them co-regulate or reframe something, or, you know, kind of give them an internal sense of you've got this, like, I'm going to teach you how to self-protect, how to apologize, how to forgive, you know, really important developmental milestones we have to move through. And it's kind of this survival code of like lean in when in distress to connect and it will be better. And and then they start to reduce the stress of the environment. So now I'm moving down my top hand. So they close the gap for their kid. They raise the coping skills. They decrease the stress. Now they don't fix it for them because that would be just reducing the, the stress of the context without raising the skills. The kid goes to another environment. Parents not there. They don't know how to do it themselves. So it's really both reducing the stress of the environment and increasing sc- coping skills. Now in a tricky family That doesn't always happen. So like the gap is still there and it's like, oh, we don't communicate well. You didn't really teach me what I needed. There's some stuff to work out. In a traumatizing family, it's not just that the gap isn't closed. It's actually your parents widen the gap. So they either critique you, attack you, distance from you when something goes wrong. So your your skill sets actually depress, like depressed, going down because it, it's you don't even have someone helping you now. You think, oh my gosh, something's really wrong with me. Like I caused this. I don't know what to do. I'm unlovable. I'm not worthwhile. That decreases, and often they're bringing their own patterns of relating, their own unhealed trauma. And they're increasing the crisis. Like they don't know how to cope with a crisis. They make a small thing into a crisis. They're actually increasing the stress of your environment. And the when parents. That happens, yeah, the yeah, parents, yeah. yeah. When that happens again and again and again, that really relates to complex trauma. And the one thing I really want your readers to, uh, readers, my goodness, listeners, I was just doing a written thing, <laughs> um, listeners to, to feel is that one of the biggest myths about trauma And I think we're rewriting this right now. And this is so my personal mission is that in past years, because I think it's really taboo to hold parents responsible and a lot of parents at certain in certain racial categories or certain socioeconomic categories have been off the table or off the target or off the focus for how they're causing trauma. And so what we have is a historical record of research that really focuses on quite extreme traumas and only labels those as traumas. Mm. So if you look at the adverse, like inventories of childhood experiences, you know, those events are quite extreme and don't apply a lot to what I'm talking about in terms of psychological safety, emotional safety, spiritual safety, sexual safety which takes a lot of parents off the hook and really focuses our policy and our resources on a specific set of parents that are pretty vulnerable and easy to target, honestly. So there's a lot of equity and justice issues related to this that are kind of on the underbelly of my message, which is a lot of people suffer from complex trauma that are not currently identified as such. But as soon as they hear me speak the words I just spoke around the gap, parents making it worse, um,
0: my relationships feel that way. Mm-hmm. They resonate. I have a question. Is this typically like repeated, like incidences, like over time? Because, you know, I, it's it's funny. I, I ask this because I, you know, I'm 63 and I look back and I think I never had any trauma. I had a wonderful life. I had parents who loved me very much. But in the past year, as I've been doing more work on myself, digging into like these like certain like and it's not necessarily um, something that prevents me from because I feel like I'm living my best life right now and I'm very happy. But there's just little things like sometimes I get really afraid of people judging me. And that's Mm -hmm. like something there. Well, why can't I be free of judgment? Why can't I like think differently about like, why am I worried about what people think? And so in the past year, a few things have come up. And one of them was my mom was anorexic. And so when she was pregnant with me, she didn't gain any weight. Well, she gained like eight pounds. You couldn't tell she was pregnant. I was born prematurely. um, And I I think it was because failure to thrive. Um, But then like just recently I was with my coach and, and I had this, like aha moment that when I was like eight years old, I, a, a classmate's dad died and I became obsessed with death and it, it, I got obsessive compulsive disorder. And so, but I hit it and I didn't tell my parents, but I would, there was things that I did like I would, every night I would ask my mom the same three questions and she, she never really talked to me about it. You know, she never, uh, she, and she got to the point where she'd come in and she to my bedroom and she'd say, yes, yes, no, yes, yes, no. And so she wouldn't even like give me the time of day. It was just like, she was, you know, she was busy and she was distracted with, you know, her job and my dad and she was in school at night. And, and then while we were talking, another trauma just came up and that was, I broke and dislocated my finger Hmm. and they didn't take me to the doctor. They, because they were having a party and so they were drinking and having fun with their friends. I, I came home with like from a friend's house and my finger was over on the other side of my other finger. Mm-hmm. And my dad tried to put it back into place. My dad's not a doctor. And then I went to bed like mm-hmm. that. And I woke up in the morning with like, like still like that. And my, <laughs> I, you know, I think the doctor was like shocked when we went to the, to the doctor. So there's just like these little things. Like I look back in my life. I had, I felt loved by my parents, mm-hmm. but there was these little, um, you know, very, Separate and you know a lot of time between them, but actually uh, these incidents all happened when we lived in this one house for like four years. Mm-hmm. So they were well, not the pregnancy, but the you know the the debt being afraid of death, getting OCD, and then my finger, and so that's kind of was a very compressed. And I was from eight; I, we lived there from the time I was eight to when I was just turning twelve. So yeah. I just I was curious, is like yeah. So what two is, things. Yeah. Two things I would say. So one thing I would say is.
1: um Let's see. I'll start with this one, even though I want to say the other one first. I think from a listener's perspective, this will land first. Um, I, When people are trying to feel like what's the difference between a tricky family and a traumatizing family? Because like I said, unicorn parents are very rare where it's not tricky or not traumatizing. That's just the truth. It might change with um, my kids because I feel like there's a lot more information about like emotional intelligence and you know, mental health. So I think that actually will change a little bit, but I think for our generations, like if you're, you're like 35 and above you probably had a tricky family or traumatizing family, or you lucked out and got a unicorn family. I, I, one of the ways that I resonate and I, this comes by way of kind of noticing my husband's interactions with his family and my interactions with my family Um. In a traumatizing family, the best way I can describe it is there's no floor. Like there's no bottom that you could hit where you can't expect something else to happen. Whereas in a tricky family, it's like, we may disagree. We may not talk for three weeks. I may give you the silent treatment in a really like kind of toxic way, or we might pretend this thing didn't happen that did, you know, and that's problematic. I mean, and we know when things come down to it, and it gets really bad. Of course, we're going to be there. We're family. We love you. Where I think in a traumatizing family, there is no floor. You're like, yep, that I make mean, my mom cut. Yep, my mom cut me out right before my husband died. Yep, that makes sense. Like you just there's no there's no floor to it. That's like it's a hard thing to articulate, but that's the only way I can describe it. And I feel like if people resonate with that and they hear that and they think, "Oh my goodness, that's my family." There is no floor. There is no bottom we can hit where someone will scoop you up and say, "Of course, we're family. We're not going to
0: let that happen." Um and that's so the big difference. I, yeah. I love your labels. They're they're so clear. So mm-hmm. what did your husband have a unicorn family?
1: No, I no. would say they're, they, they skew towards tricky <laughs>
0: <laughs> and yours are the
1: definitely traumatizing, traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then I would just say the other thing, and this is kind of also part of the ecosystem of a tricky family, you know, a mom with anorexia is kind of tricky. I mean, there was something going on with her that she had protective parts of her protective energy that really was feeding her these messages of you must control, you must be perfect to be loved. You must control, you must be perfect to be loved because that's the, that's the anorexic protective part. You must control to be safe. You must protect uh, perfect to be loved. And so while that was going on, especially in a pregnancy where there's all this like womb energy and like great mother energy that should be flowing through that. That's like a disconnection of the mother line. So there's definitely stuff there, I would say, you know, and only you kind of understand, you know, but I do, you know, just to kind of name something for you. I have a lot of people that enter into my space that, you know, have said, I professed my love for my parents. I would have said I had the perfect family. I would have said I was loved as a kid and yet it's undeniable what I experience. And now that you're talking to me and and so I do just want to name for listeners. And for you, there is such a taboo against speaking our truth. And I think it's because, and this is something I've been trying to kind of correct in my own journey is that when I first started speaking openly, I think I had parts of me that were so angry at my parents. And so, I mean, just compounded anger over so many years of things that I really did speak out in a way that was not compassionate towards particularly my mom. And I really do regret that that was not the way forward, I believe, but I didn't have models in the survivor community because a lot of the survivor community is very righteously angry, which I now understand is also a protective part of people. Because I think when we're really tapped into the divine and all of us and the deep source energy and self energy, you can kind of arrive at this space of, I hold you accountable for what you did to me and I love you and I forgive you. And forgiveness is a very controversial topic in the survivor community, but there's a path forward where you can hold your parents accountable and still kind of be in the frequency of love and compassion it's it's kind of a nuanced place to be but it exists and and i think that's where a lot of models of recovery and trauma survivors have that very edgy righteous call it out speak my truth that that Is is a hard place to be. So I I think you can hold tell your own story, hold your parents accountable and still love and be compassionate. It's going to change your relationship with them for sure. It should. I mean, it absolutely should change your relationship with them. But changes aren't bad or wrong. Sometimes changes are really empowering and and beneficial to both and everybody. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what do you feel like sharing? And of course you don't have to, like some examples of what no bottom is like in your life? What? Yeah. Yeah. I
1: can give a really concrete example with my ex husband, who's also a trauma survivor. No bottom is we were negotiating. Um, you know, we have a legal custody agreement and anyone who's divorced has a custody agreement knows that they're kind of just words on paper because to get them enforced, you it's, it's almost impossible to, I mean, not impossible, but it has to get really bad for, for you to find yourself in front of a judge. And by the time you do, it's probably whatever's happened is already passed. So divorced parents that are co-parenting with a custody agreement are going to relate to that reality. However, you know, most adults kind of take the custody agreement as sacred. Like we agreed to this, we, we wrote it down. We had lawyers, like this is our plan. When we don't agree, we fall back on this document. So my ex and I were negotiating a trip he wanted to take. It, it it the the girl, one of my children had an event that they would have to miss if they went on the trip. And it was my custody time. So I said you can't take them. Like I don't want them to miss this event. They don't want to miss this event. It's important. You'll have to reschedule this event. And it wasn't for his family. It was for his um their stepmom, which is, you know, blended. Like I'm I'm a stepmom too, like I get it, but I also think it wasn't for his family. It was for her family. They were missing an event. I'm like, I don't agree with this. It's my call. I'm doing it. He bought the tickets anyway. He bought the tickets anyway. And at that point, plane tickets, told the girls, canceled the the thing. And I was like, well, what can I do? Like, you've bought the tickets. Like, you've given me no option here. I can't go in front of a judge. You backed me into this corner about this thing I feel important about. And so it's that. And then when I try to have an exchange with him about it, text message, like this wasn't right. What you did, what comes back is very vicious. Like, I don't need to repeat everything, but attacking me, attacking my worth, trying to tell me I'm a horrible person, you know, re and so it's, it's just so it's like, well, this isn't, there's nowhere to go. I just have to walk away from this. (laughs) I think that's one example that feels, you know, um, I mean, there's probably a lot more, but. I think that's it. I think when you're down or there's a disagreement, people are going to do what's best for them with no regard for your well being or health. And then when you say, this hurts, this isn't right, they don't even distance or consider it. They attack you for expressing your side of it.
0: Yeah. Did you feel as a child that you weren't like cared for? Do you not have the same perspective? Like, even though I had these incidences, but I still felt like I was loved. Did you feel like you weren't loved as a child or?
1: It's so tricky to go back and reconstruct. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, what did I, I don't, did I even know what love was at 11 or, I mean, I knew things weren't right. I mean, mm-hmm. I can say that, that I knew things weren't right. And, and a lot I of kids don't, they don't know. They don't know
0: yeah. Until they yeah. go somewhere else and see it. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 So I knew something wasn't right. I didn't know what was not right. Uh, It took me a little bit to piece together what wasn't
0: right. Yeah. 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 I knew, I know that I I've interviewed people and they're like, you know, you might, it was really, my upbringing was not normal. And I didn't know that until I started to visit friends like in middle school. And I saw like, is that they're, they're nice to each other. You know, they have dinner together. They, they, complement each other. So, yeah, Yeah.
1: I think my experience and a lot of my clients' experience is a little bit different in that, you know, people in trauma ecosystems tend to attract other people in trauma ecosystems. And so a lot of my friends kind of had similar dynamics. A lot of my significant others, partners also kind of had that similar um, dynamic. And so what they were reflecting back felt very familiar to me. Um, so I think that's the hardest thing is what's going to be the mirror back to you that this isn't normal. There's something
0: different. And sometimes people don't get that mirror, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. My mom was, uh, the child of a alcoholic and her, there was like two generations prior to her that were alcoholics. So there was a lot of like, um, what you had referred to earlier where not speaking, you know, like cutting people off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in fact, um, my mom's sister was cut off from the family for seven years. Yeah. And so they didn't speak, they, you know, a letter and then that was it.
1: And yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, just hearing that it's, it sounds like your parents did better than what they had <laughs> received. Yeah. Um, but, but maybe not, you know, as good as it could have been with some support. You know, I think that's interesting thing about intergenerational trauma, like, you know, how does it get passed on? Who's the actual cycle breaker? And and so much of it is so situational. I mean, you are the child of someone with unhealed trauma, but you happen into a friend group in college. That's really healthy just by circumstance. Cause they lived on your dorm floor you meet a best friend, you get taken into their family. You realize you get in a support group. You marry a partner who's not a trauma survivor. I mean, that's a totally different trajectory for you versus someone who ends up taking a job in a restaurant. They meet somebody who's also a trauma survivor, you know, and, and then it kind of like, then they end up getting you know pregnant and having a baby. And now you're taking care of a baby. So you don't, End up finishing college. I mean, it's like things can just spiral really quickly upward or downward in, in how these all things play out. So I think that's also kind of the developmental perspective on it too, of it's not just this formula. You can plug people in to see the outcome. There's so many different factors that
0: influence things. Yeah. yeah. And and so heading into a different topic, I, I yeah it well, was kind of related, but because I mean I just want I'm curious what tools you use because I when I see you on Instagram, you're you're clearly like, you know, an inner I think you work in the energy of yeah. you know I mean am you know, pretty big into energy and just yeah. like,
1: I mean it's a good way to talk about trauma because trauma is definitely like an energetic imprint.
0: Yeah. And so what are some to tools that, yeah. like you that have helped you? I saw that you you had your human design profile you posted. I, I yeah. recently did that last year. So that's been really eye-opening for me because I have done and made decisions in my life that are completely in opposition to my human design.
1: <laughs> yes, it is kind of interesting when you do that. Yeah. I mean, so the primary tool that I've used since I um, left the academy, I've been so fortunate i mean it feels like this really is a divine intervention um internal family systems is a particular kind of modality and there it's very hard to get into the trainings you know many people wait it's so popular there's actually a lottery to apply so you can't even just apply they pull a lottery tell you if you can apply and then you get in and i it was introduced to ifs which is what you call it shorthand on my own podcast i interviewed somebody really fascinating. I tried it out on my own. It changed my life personally. So I was like, well, I'm going to apply for level one. And I got it the first time. I mean, it was just crazy. And then so I internal family systems, I got trained in level one and then I applied for level two and I, I'm going in March. It's wild. I don't understand how this is happening, but it's so good because I just love internal family systems. But from my perspective, it's not complete. So if I had to kind of describe what I combine, it's internal family systems, kind of goddess archetypal energy and shamanic journeying, And those together really make a really nice kind of space to do transformative work in my mind. And and I don't hold any of them super tightly. You know, I think as a good coach or mentor, you're always innovating and intuitively guiding and just pulling in what. Feels resonant for your client, <laughs> you know. You're just like, oh, yeah, this yeah. feels relevant, you know. So I'm definitely an innovator when it comes to coaching. But those are the three things that I would say I kind of anchor in. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. So, is there a level three? What's the highest level that you? There's a level to? three. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And how yeah. long does each level take you to go through?
1: So they usually do them in intensive weekends. One is the longest. I think there's four four day intensives, and they're they're nine to five. I mean, they're, you're there, it's intense. And what's so interesting about IFS, unlike other trainings is you actually practice. So you are like in triads and at one point you're the client, the other person's the therapist. And so you actually practice while someone supervises you, which is really fascinating. That's great. That's yeah. the best way to learn. Uh, do you do retreats? You know, it's interesting you asked this because I've been planting seeds for an in-person retreat center. So I live in outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm not from here, but this is where I ended up. And, um, I am planting seeds for a retreat center in West Virginia. Oh, I live in Virginia.
0: I'm coming. I'm signing up. Yes, there's
1: Some beautiful land in West Virginia. And so I've been kind of eyeing, I have a, I have a must have list for a piece of property. And so I'm just, I think the timing, the property and the timing will
0: align and I'll do it. And so you, will you move from Pittsburgh to West Virginia?
1: No, we'll stay here. We'll I'll just use it as, you know, a close enough commute to travel down there and
0: maybe you know. other people can use it as a venue as well. I don't I'm, know. Too, I'm too, I'm too energetically no way. I would never trust anyone else's energy. Don't bring your dark energy here. <laughs> Don't
1: bring, no, I actually, I actually love, I actually appreciate dark energy and welcome it in all my spaces, but I think just, um, wanting to make sure that whatever energy is brought into the space, dark or not, like, doesn't matter. I welcome all energies that I, I, I know what's been there so I can clear it and keep it pure. So it's, it's more of that kind of
0: thing. And I'm just curious, did you do any of this or know any of this as a professor? Did, did you, were you interested in this like energy work before?
1: And not at all. Mm-mm. It's only when I started healing and being like, what's going to work. Yeah. And yeah, it really was like a, what's going to work framework, which is interesting. Cause any person who's deep into energy would be like, that's the oddest place to come to energy. I'm like, what's going to work.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's not right. Very, not very. Um, yeah. 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 Let me intu- be intuitively guided versus. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, Yeah, this is fascinating. I think you're a great example of what I like to tell people is that you're never too old to develop new skills. You're never too old to, you know, explore and discover and, and, and use that, you know, people think, oh, I I need to develop that within myself. But what you learn is so valuable. If it helps you, it's going to help other people. Right. And I think it's actually a remembering. I don't
1: think there are things that are new. I think there are things we remember that were there all along, and we forgot because we didn't tend to them, and no one helped us tend to them. Because I can remember being a little girl and biking to my public library and sitting in the self-help aisle, and like pouring over like astrology books. But I just, you know, I lost that along the way. And I mean, I don't, I don't give my power away to those things, but I, I think they're fun to play in as alternative ways of knowing or just seeing what that brings to us, but. I think there's a lot of people that would say, it's just a remembering. I remembered. I love music. I remembered. I love to use my hands to work with wood. I remember I love to solve problems. I remember I like to organize things. I remember yeah. I like to plan the birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. just, just forget along the way. So for me, it feels more of like a remembering yeah. versus something new.
0: Yeah. So good. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm so glad we finally got our schedules together cuz we have to Yeah. I, agree. Yes, I yes. agree. So let's keep in touch. Is there any last bit of just inspiration you'd like to share about, you know, I, I like to say living a spark life, you know, you're clearly sparked, you're energetically aligned and I love your calmness. Mm. You, know, you feel very calm. I talk to you. I like that when I have guests on. Yes. I kind of go away like, oh. ah, <laughs> like I had a nice good. bath. <laughs>
1: I love that. That's such a compliment. I received that. Yeah. I received that. Um, I think it's just, you know, what I would leave, you know, given your audience on this podcast, I would just really give everyone full permission who's listening to this that if you ever hear a podcast episode or read something or hear something and it does spark. This remembering of, I like this. I resonate with this. Pay attention. (laughs) It's, you know, something came across your path to remind you and follow that interest and just let it not be something you do, but let it just be an open inquiry. There's no timeline. There's no gold star for listening to all the podcasts or reading all the books. It's more just an open invitation to keep it alive in your life. And keep getting curious about it. And eventually it will lead you down the path that will help you see what it was meant to teach you or show you.
0: I think that's that's great. I I, I mean, that hits home because that was me. Uh, And, you know, I was 59 at the time and I heard somebody's name and somebody was like, oh, he's my coach. He's my mentor. He's great. And so I Googled him and I found out he had a podcast and I started listening to it and I kept tuning in. I never really was a podcast listener, Mm. but I never wanted to miss his because he had the best combination of wh- smartness, you know, he's business coach, smartness yeah. and, and, and humor mm-hmm. and, and woo, you know, and I was like really interested in the woo. And I was like, Ooh, and, it, and it, and, I, and inside of me, I remembered when I've act- worked in the corporate world as an executive that I never thought I could, you know the, the, you know the, people would leave and start their businesses because i worked for a startup and they'd leave and start their own businesses and mm-hmm. i would i admired them but i also thought i could never do that mm-hmm. i could never do that but i think i had a deep desire to do that and so when i found him and i connected with this podcast and i started hearing things it it kind of brought that up and it made me start to believe that i could and so it's it's so interesting powerful. that he said that yeah It's so powerful. I mean, the podcast space is
1: so powerful. I mean, the fact that you could just, I mean, I have people all the time come into my world and be like, I don't even know how I found your podcast, but I started listening and then I binged it all weekend and here I am. (laughs) I mean, it just really can shift your perspective because it can be that mirror. Remember we were talking about earlier, you can't see what you can't see. You need someone to hold up a mirror or hold up or show you a path, whatever the metaphor is. And then you see the path or then you reflect back. Oh, and I I love you said humor because nothing is as good when you have your headphones on or your AirPods in and you're literally laughing out loud and people are looking at you like, what are you laughing about? And you're just in the moment with with a
0: host on a podcast. It's so fun to laugh out loud when you're listening to someone's podcast. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, I love it. So anyways, thank you so much, Tanner. And uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. I, I'm really interested in your t- retreat. So I need to get on your list. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you
1: so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: All right. Thank you so much for tuning into the living your spark second half podcast. If you'd like to watch my guest interviews, you can find the video version of this podcast on my, not your average grandma, YouTube channel. Also, you can check out what I have going on at the moment by going to my website at notyouraveragegrandma.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at notyouraveragegrandma. If you like this episode, please mention it to a friend and don't forget to leave a review so I know the topics you like best and can bring you more of that content in upcoming episodes. Last but not least, remember to always listen to that inner voice that will never steer you wrong and make living from the most sparked place possible your biggest priority. When we do that, we make the world a better place.